We have been studying a uh, book called Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, so, so a two-part book for the past uh, number of weeks, really since, since the uh, new, early in the new year. And we're going to wrap it up today. We're going to kind of fast forward through the back half of Nehemiah. So it's going to go a little bit quicker. We're not going to cover everything, but we do need to land a plane on that because we're entering into Easter season. Uh, we had Lent this week. Anyone doing Lent? Any, anyone observing Lent? Yeah, awesome. A couple people observing, giving up some stuff. Fantastic. Uh, so Lent is a, is a preparation of our hearts and our time before leading up to Easter. So uh, we're going to start diving into some of that story as well. But uh, we're going to finish Nehemiah today. And Nehemiah ends in a little bit of a kind of a cliffhanger. It just doesn't really wrap up real neat and tidy. Uh, and if you've been with us, you know now that this is the end of the Old Testament. This is the finishing of the Old Testament drama or narrative. And, and Malachi is kind of mixed in there. He's a prophet during this time. Uh, but as far as, as the narrative goes, Nehemiah is it. This is running into like the 450s BC, a little, a little later on. It just sort of all, all ends. And there's around 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where they would just say that's kind of the silent years. Life happened. Uh, people are doing stuff. Obviously, there's, there's empires and God's people is, is still around. But we don't have any inspired text. So we don't know about that. There's just sort of this quiet, dark time for God's people from the end of say, Nehemiah, before we get into to Matthew and, and the Gospels. And it sort of ends that way. And cliffhangers for some people are okay, right? Some people, like, you like that. Oh, it's kind of cool. And it, you know those movies that end, it sort of just fades to black and every, not everything's resolved? And some people, that just drives you crazy. It's like, oh, it's kind of cool. I don't mind those type of movies, but, you can, but I'm sometimes with people, or my wife doesn't prefer those ones, like, wait, that's it? I hate that movie. That is just, it was a good movie until that point, but now I hate that movie because it didn't resolve. It just sort of left you hanging. She's like, well, what happened? Like, well, that's, that's up to your interpretation of what happened. That's part of the story. But, but, but it's hard sometimes when it gets that way. We'll see for God's people, they, they kind of end there at the end of this, this book. It's sort of like, well, what happens? Where are we going with this thing? And we have the benefit of knowing into the future uh, we're going to ultimately see Jesus and it, and it all does get resolved. But it's hard when it just ends. I was, I was looking at some of the, the classic cliffhangers this, this week. And I don't even remember. I don't actually remember this show very well, but the show Dallas Anyone old enough to remember Dallas, right? It was like the ultimate cliffhanger of all time. And I remember Dallas a little bit because my, my nana watched Dallas, and she loved Dallas. Or at least the guy, JR, I think, with the hat. She loved sitting there and watching Dallas. And I would come in every now and then and, and, and check it out if I was at her place and, and, and try to watch along. And I didn't understand it. It probably wasn't appropriate anyway. But it ended in this sort of scene where, where, where somebody, the main character, gets shot and, and dies. And they don't ever say what happened or who did it. And then it just ended. The whole, it didn't come back the next year. There's not, the series is finished. And it's sort of, it just sort of hangs there. Right? The, the Avengers stories have kind of been that way. In the middle of the Avengers, it's, uh, spoiler alert, right? Thanos is involved and, and everyone kind of dies. And like, that's, that's it? Well, we're not done yet. We're going to tell more story. But at, in that moment, it just felt like it's done. And so Nehemiah, it does kind of feel like it's, wow, that doesn't seem like a good ending to the Old Testament. But the story's not done yet. So we're going to go through a few of these chapters. We're going to do communion today as well. Uh, and we tend to have a lot of fun with communion, so we'll leave some time for that. <clears throat> uh, Nehemiah 6, uh, we'll go through, through, through chapter by chapter. Uh, and, and, in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, they have since, if you follow this story at all, they've, they've built the walls. Jerusalem is, is slowly being restored. But there are people around, other other kind of mini monarchs or, or houses in that area that do not like that Jerusalem's coming back. Like, you know what? We prefer when there was no Jerusalem. We prefer when there was no uh, another people group to deal with. 
And so they're taking note. All the walls are going up. The temple's going up. They're getting things back. On, they're getting back on their feet after they're away in captivity. And there's these kind of four groups that are, are not too far off. And if we had a map, we could see that Jerusalem's kind of pinned in by these guys. And they're watching this thing happen. And at first they thought, this is never going to happen. These guys are never going to get this wall up. They're never going to get the temple going again. It, it's not even worth our time to worry about. But they see through Nehemiah's work in this story, it's starting to get rebuilt. They're starting to get some, some order back into their city. The people are starting to, to become the people again. And these other guys are watching along, like, and, and, and they begin to think, man, we've got to stop this situation now before it gets any worse. And in chapter 6, we see these guys conspire against Nehemiah, and they say, hey, let's, get, let's set up a meeting with him, and then once he comes to the meeting, we'll, we'll take care of him. And so they invite him to, the, to this meeting, these, these, these four guys, four or five guys. They invite Nehemiah, say, hey, come, come meet with us. And Nehemiah's like, no way, I'm good. I'm not going to go out and, and get murdered out in your land. Like, I'm not going. And they keep sending these, keep sending these notes to, to Nehemiah, these letters. They come, hey, come meet with us, come meet with us. He keeps declining. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And he's praying to God that God would, would be with him. In this time, there's perseverance happening from the outside. The inside's not easy. He has this really simple but beautiful prayer. So I prayed in, 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 in verse, verse 9, now strengthen my hands. Like, there's work to do, Lord. Please strengthen my hands. Right? People are coming against me. There's stuff to do here, Lord. Strengthen my hands. And I love that simple prayer because hands symbolize just, just the work we're doing. And sometimes that's physical. And in this sense, part of it was, was actually building the walls. Some of it's managing the people. It's staying spiritually in touch. It's like, Lord, strengthen my hands this day. Strengthen my hands. So all that I would do, the work that I would put my hands to, the people I would be in contact with, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. And these guys keep coming. They keep trying to trick him. They keep trying. And, and eventually they do kind of an inside job. And you see this, we were able to read through the chapter. They get someone on the inside to, to try to trick Nehemiah as well. And this guy says, hey, these guys are coming. Like, let's go hide in the temple. You should, you should, get, you should get out of here. And Nehemiah's like, I'm not going to go hide in the temple. What kind of man would that make me? What kind of man would that make me? And he maintains his integrity. And at the end of chapter 6, verse 19, or verse 16, they realize as, they, as they're getting this resistance from Nehemiah, so they realize this work had been done with the help of our God. And, and, and the outsiders are, are seeing this. And that's an awesome testimony to any of our lives. If people could look at your life and say, man, like that person's life is lived with the help of their God. And Nehemiah is walking that out. Walking that out. And verse 19 says they kept trying. It's all these, these, these back and forths. They just kept trying to trick him. They kept trying to, to get him out of, his, out of Jerusalem and, and, and potentially murder him. They kept trying. They kept coming after him. And I was thinking about this in the terms of the stuff that comes after us because we all have that. You're focused on your life. You know what, you, what you're meant to be doing. There's a certain calling and there's a work to do and you have got family relationships and job and, and, and you know, a relationship with God. And there's these outside forces that are constantly kind of saying, hey, come, come out of there. Just take a break from that and come over and do this for a while. Come, come meet with us. And sometimes that's people in your life. Some of us have harmful people around that. A lot of times that comes from within. It's our own sort of sins and brokenness. Right, some of those deadly sins, greed, gluttony, envy. We, a lot of us have pride that we deal with. That pride keeps coming back. Hey, come back. Come spend some time with us. 
And they kind of whisper to us insecurity. A lot of people struggle with insecurity, forgetting who you are in Jesus. Oh, come, just come spend some time with insecurity. Let's do this for a while. And it keeps coming. And in this chapter, it kept coming after Nehemiah. He kept resisting it. But the end of the chapter says they kept trying. They kept coming. Those things in our life that want to bring us harm, that want to pull us away from our calling and what God's asked us to do and the work of our hands, they will keep coming. It'll keep knocking. Maybe that's addiction for you. Things that are pulling away will keep trying. And Nehemiah, he just kept up with the Lord. Lord, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands, Lord. And God did. And, and people were realizing it. Like, man, this guy has the help of his God. I think we talked about last week, the idea that our faith is, was, and always will be a cooperative venture. It's him doing a lot of good work. Nehemiah, he's faithful. He's, he is busting it to get stuff done with the help of his God. With the help of his God. Chapter 7 would go on, and, and, and Nehemiah looks at this city it's this big city, but we don't have that many people here. We actually haven't built the home, many, very many homes yet. So we've got to establish who's going who's to be living here. And he starts to go through these records. If you have an have a app or Bible, you can look at this at some point. Chapter 7 says this. He's, he's going over all the exiles. Chapter 7, 5 says this. So my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the gene genealogical record of those who had been the first three turn. And this is what I found there. And it's all these names and names and names and who's with them, how many people they were. So we have to figure out this city. There's all these people, but who's really here? Who kind of came back first? Who was part of that, that, that return? How do we get this thing set up? And he starts going through these records and it's fascinating to look at number by number. And Ezra's involved with this as a scribe. They've got good records. And Nehemiah goes to work on this, this, this situation. How do we get people living here again? Who's supposed to be here? Who's not supposed to be here? He finds that. They find names like, yeah, you know what? We don't have record of these guys. They don't actually belong here. He did that as well. Thousands upon thousands of people he's going through these records. And what I love about it is he's solving this issue. He says, God put in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration. God put in my heart to basically create this massive spreadsheet. Like, that's kind of who he was. Nehemiah is that guy. You've seen that if you've been with us. He's organized. He's pragmatic. He takes his time. He likes to do his research. He likes to see, get things figured out. This is not just sort of a guy who's like blind leap of faith. He assesses situations with the help of his guys. God put in my heart to do this. And, it, and it's also a logical thing to do. And so when we think about God moving in our lives and your faith in action what God may be calling you to do. Like sometimes that faith can be really nerdy stuff. It could just be that. It's like, man, I got to create this monster, massive spreadsheet. Some people love that. That's who you are. Some of us, that would kill us. But for some of you, yeah, that's exciting. God put in my heart something that's kind of already there because it's who you are. And our faith in action a lot of times is you being you. Not, not, your, not your broken you, but like the God you, the Jesus you, the best version of yourself. So your faith, you're stepping out. God putting something in your heart might actually look kind of like who you are because he made you and he made you to do that stuff. It tends to line up. Not everyone could have received this sort of impression from God. Hey, 
I feel this impression to like go through all the records and go through thousands and thousands of names and numbers and organize it all. Like that would not work for a lot of people. It worked for Nehemiah. God put in my heart to assemble, to work on registration. And so faith can be that. It can be spreadsheets. Faith can be, can be making beer. It can be uh, students and musicals and baseball and, and short charts. It's wherever you're at and who you are and what you do. Your faith in action can be that. God can put that on your heart, which is exciting. That's good news for a lot of us. Because sometimes we can look at the text and stories like, man, I am nothing like that guy. Maybe you're not, but you're you. And God wants to use you. He wants to activate faith through you. Things that are close to your heart. Because he made you. So he gets this work done in, in chapter 7. He, he organizes the homes. And in the very end of chapter 7 and chapter 8, it's really kind of cool moment. Uh, Tony was mentioning this last week, actually, before service. Ezra comes back into the picture. Remember, Ezra was the book before. He showed up late in Ezra, last few chapters. He's still around. He's a scribe. He's a, he's a priest. He's working on the, in the temple. He's going through the law. Make sure people understand the laws. Make sure we have records of law. Make sure people understand it. And in chapter 8, he, he gets everybody together. It's men and women get together here. And Ezra comes out and, and he begins to read the law of Moses. He gets out this, this, the book of the law. There's probably more scrolls, but he gets out the, the book of the law. And he begins to read this sort of Old Testament story and narrative of, 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 of Moses. And the people are there and they begin to worship. First of all, it says they all stood up. So Ezra's standing. He's on this platform. And he opens up this book of the law. And all these people, and if you've been with us, you know these people have had challenges. They have not been faithful. Right? They've been taking their own sons and daughters as slaves. And they've been, they've been doing some practices that are just very unsavory, even though God delivered them. And Ezra gets up and begins to read this law of Moses. Everybody stands up. And he said, he read it from like morning till afternoon, just hours and hours. He's just reading this story. The text that we have, he's just reading this. And the people begin to worship, and then, be, then they begin to weep. And they begin to mourn. Because they're like, oh my gosh, we are so off base. We have been so off base. You know when uh, truth sort of smacks you in the face, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been missing it. Their eyes have been opened, and their hearts have been touched. Oh my gosh, God has been faithful to us. And God has given us a way to live, and we just haven't. And they just begin to repent, and they begin to mourn. In, in, in their worship. And Nehemiah comes over. And he's a kind of governor at this point. He's kind of got moved into politics. He's just, a, he's just a smart guy. and He's faithful. Nehemiah the governor. This is verse 9. Verse 9 says this. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So they bring the word, they bring the truth. It's the first day of the seventh month for them. This is, this, this is a holy day. This is a, a, a day dedicated to the Lord. And the people are like, oh my gosh, we've been blowing it. And they just begin weeping. And Nehemiah and Ezra say, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's, let's not just make this a depressing day. Yeah, you guys did blow it. You guys have been off base. But this is about God. This is not about you. Let's, let's get some food and drink. Let's make sure everybody has enough. 
And let's just celebrate what God has done. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And as I read that, you think through the people this time, and it's okay for us to recognize our own problems sometimes and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so broken, I've blown it. Yeah, you have. But don't let that take away from who God is. He's calling back, you know, this is, yeah, you guys have issues, but man, remember the Lord. Let's worship Him. Let's celebrate. God is about joy. Let His joy be your strength. He encourages people, rise up. Let's celebrate. Let's remember that. Because it's so easy for us to get back here and think about, oh, my poor me, and I'm, I can never do anything right, and we, I always struggle with this. And Maybe that's your prayer life. It's just always about kind of that. Man, remember who God is, just being Him. Take joy in that. Let that be your strength. As they go through these, these, these kind of crazy emotions, and they continue to read this story, and, and the story is... Man, it talks about them, them being in captivity and freed from captivity and different times when things were good and things were bad. And they just continue to see God got them there. And this is this generation, idea of generational faithfulness. Generational faithfulness. Generation upon generation, God continued to be faithful. He continued to move the story along. And if you're here today, you've experienced some generational faithfulness. That doesn't mean all the generations and all the story are, very, uh, are all pleasant. I mentioned my family tree a week or so ago. There's some weird things in my family tree. But I'm here now. Right? There's faithfulness. God's generational faithfulness. He got you here. He got you where you need to be. Nine and ten go on and they begin to, to repent again. And they're going through this God's story. Right? Which we all have these kind of stories of God's, God moving in our life. And they bind this agreement in uh, chapter 10 verse 29. Because they're like, all right, this is serious now. I know in the past we've repented and then we've gone back to doing what we were doing anyway, but we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to put our foot down. We're going to be faithful. Yeah, I, I remember our ancestors, maybe us too a little bit, but we're not doing that anymore. And they bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses to serve in God and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. They hear all the things they've done wrong and say, you know what, we are done doing that. We are going to be faithful. And these issues, if we have time to study all of them, they, 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 they deal with intermarriage of people from other lands. And it wasn't about God's, this is not a race thing, but God's people were easily corrupted if they got involved with other, other people of other religions, pagan religions. So one of their statutes, hey, we're not intermarrying with other people. The Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. They had not been doing that. They said, oh, we're going to honor the Sabbath. We've, we've neglected the temple all right, we're going we're gonna to give to the temple. We're going to make sure we can be worshiping again. We're going to dedicate our firstborn to the Lord. They, they had promised to be faithful with their tithes and offerings. They had not been doing that. So they make all these promises. They repent and they make this, these promises. 11 and 12 goes on. Uh, and this is a, a kind of back to like, all right, who's, how are we going to live here in this city again? We have to get things operating uh, in, in a certain civil way. And it's kind of this lottery to see who's going to live in the city. And it's not clear if you were going to live in the city, if that was a good thing or a bad thing. It doesn't really say. There's people who are probably like, I would prefer not to live in that place with Nehemiah and Ezra. They're a little wacky. I just want to have my village out here. But he say, hey, this is some people who are going to live here because we need to do this. And we're going to restore the temple. And we're going to get musicians and gatekeepers. It says this in, in 43, uh, 47 of 12. So in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel, remember Zerubbabel was in Ezra, 
uh, early Ezra. All Israel contributed the, the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeeper, gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for other Levites, and the Levites set aside portion for the descendants of Aaron. So this is about the temple. This is about worship. This is about, we got to do that. That's important. We need our house of worship operational. We need to take care of the people who are going to do it. Let's, 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 we've, we've done the wall. We've done some building. We've got to make sure our temple is going again. And it's all about this focusing on this temple because they needed that. 13 comes along, chapter 13. This is the last chapter. And it opens up, and there's sort of these different scenes of chapter 13. It's like three different scenes. And there's a time after this that, that there had been the law, there had been this revival. Nehemiah mentions, you know, I, I, I eventually I had to go away. He, get, he got called back to Persia where he worked for the, worked for the king there. And he's, recount, he's re- recounting in chapter 13 this, this situation that he came back to and, and he had heard about. The opening scene talks about the storehouse of the temple being robbed, being used for other purposes. Right, so this is after we've had, we've had all this revival and repentance and there's been some amazing things happening. And now chapter 13, we're going to end like, well, someone from the outside is now using the temple for their own, their own gain. So that's not good. So I, gotta, you have to, I have to clear that out. He comes to find out that they've been working on the Sabbath, that they're neglecting God's holiness. He even finds out that they're, they're intermarrying again with people from outside, outside lands. So even, even one of the priests was involved with this. He finds out that the children can't even speak Hebrew, which is important because that's what their law of Moses was written in. That's how the story was told. He said, oh my gosh, you guys aren't even teaching our, our children about our God. How are they going to know the story? They can't read Hebrew. They can't speak Hebrew. And he comes back and he says this a couple times. He goes through these situations because they have basically broke all those promises they made a few chapters before, systematically. Each one they took an oath for and say, hey, curse us if we do this again. They just broke them all again. Nehemiah had left for a little while and everything just went back to the way it was. And each time he kind of goes through these sections like, oh my gosh, they're doing this. And, and, and Nehemiah says this. He says, God, just remember me. Remember me. Like he's throwing his hands up. Three times he says this, remember me. I, I, I tried. I did my best. I, I can't. I can't. I can't do anymore. Remember me. And there's just this, this kind of sad bit of this story. And if you follow these stories in the past, it, it's not always told in this light, but this is kind of how it ends. He left for a while. He came back. And it was all the same problems. All the, maybe even worse. And in this case, when Ezra came up and he found the intermarriage, he said, man, we've got to split this up right now. We've got to break this up. Nehemiah doesn't go to those lengths. He's like, all right, I don't know. I don't even know what to do now. You're all doing this stuff. I, I have to figure out how to, how to live with it, I guess. He says, God, remember me. And that's how it ends. That's how Nehemiah ends. His story is, is finished. And Nehemiah says, remember me. All this cool stuff that happened, like, it's not working. It, it works for a moment. Maybe for a few days or even a couple years. But then all of a sudden, they're just sort of back to the way they were. And we can find ourselves so often in the same place. I, I've been there. Many, many of you understand this. Like, man, what happened? I had a felt like an encounter. I was making some changes in my life. Felt like God was speaking to me. And all of a sudden, you just drift. Now I'm doing the same stuff again. Falling into the same traps relationally and with addiction. Financially, I'm just broken again. 
And the good news here at the end of, end of Nehemiah, the end of the Old Testament, is that God is not done yet. God is not done. And he's never going to be done with, with, with you while you're here. He's not done. The story's not done. We're not done. Right? We're not done yet. You're not done because God is not done. And when you're in those places where you're like, oh my God, you know what? You're not done. God is still doing work on you. Let's just say that right now. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. You're not done yet. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. We aren't done yet. We're not finished. I got you. You don't have a neighbor. We're not done yet. It's okay. You're still being worked on. God is, a, is, your, is your author and you are his workmanship. He is going to be faithful to finish it, but you're not done yet. That's why you have these problems. We're going through this. If you know Jesus, there is sanctification happening. Your heart is being regenerated. Yeah, there are good things, but you're not done yet. Some of us are uncomfortable with that. And I love to cook and get in the kitchen, get some sauces going. You know what I hate? When people come over my shoulder and taste my food before it's finished yet. Like, it's not done yet. They know it's not done yet. I know it's not done yet. No, 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 I don't want you to taste it. It's not done yet. You're uncomfortable with that. It's not, it's not done yet. But it's okay. It's okay. And it's not just saying, oh, this is just the way I am. You're in, you're in process. You're here now. You're going to be here later. God's not done with you. Then have compassion to that process. Have compassion to yourself when you fall into the same stuff. God's not done with you. Have compassion for other people, but God's not done with them yet either. No, God is not done with them. God's not done with this story yet. You just keep going. Just keep going. You're not done yet. Keep going. It's okay. You're going to mess up a little bit along the way. Man, a couple of us, Seth and I, were helping. Uh, we'll finish up in a moment here and get the band to come up. And uh, we're helping uh, Matt and Katie tune in move. Is Matt and Katie here? I helped you move yesterday. You're not here at church. Wow. Okay. Um, which is really awesome helping people move, right? I mean, if I show up like, hey, everyone's favorite thing to do on a Saturday, help people move. And, uh, but uh, we're helping them move and it's, you know, you know how moving is. I mean, it's, they live in Pierpont. They live out here on the East End now. Furniture, beds, cribs. And when you're uh, doing this kind of stuff, it's... You probably have these pieces of furniture in your room. If you ever try to move it out, like, how did that thing get in here? It doesn't fit. And then you have to take it apart to get it through the door. Ah, oh, that's the worst, especially that Ikea stuff, because it's not going to go back together the right way. You're going to lose all those little pieces. And so we're in the room, and there's this big crib. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, and we took a while, but we figured out to squeeze it through out one door. It got into a trailer. We got it into the house. It's going to go up the stairs. And Seth and I are bringing this big, it's this big crib up the, up the staircase, up a flight of stairs, kind of a narrow hallway up the stairs, and then, and then up into the rooms. There's railings. And this crib has these kind of ornamental sides, right? If it was just straight, it'd be great. But it has these kind of ornamental wings, and it kind of curves out. And we get it, like, up to the stairs. And we're like, gosh, is this going to fit? It doesn't look like it is, but you start it, and it's kind of touching the sides. Like it barely fits, but it's like touching along the way. It's hitting the ra- hitting the railing, the handrail. I'm like, man, I don't know. I, we definitely don't want to take this crib apart. We got this far, and we start moving this crib up this this hallway, this stairway. You know, walls on either side, and, and sets on one side. I'm behind it, and we're starting to walk up, and it's just scraping along the side, like. <laughs> And we stop, and like, and then Matt comes into the house. This is his house, right? It's a new house he's moved into. It's freshly painted. 
And Seth's like, sorry, sorry, Matt. Sorry. He's like, it's okay, just keep going, just keep going. And we take a few more steps. <sighs> just scraping along the walls. And it just did that the whole time. Oh my gosh, sorry, we stop, stop, stop. And then he's like, okay, just keep going, just keep going. <sighs> And it's just grind, this slow grind up the stairs, like just leaving this mark. And I'm like, we're saying sorry, but I'm like, I'm dying laughing almost as he sat on the other side, just kind of tried to hold it together. I can't even say anything. <laughs> so I can just picture Matt's face just watching us up the hallway of his new house. But he just kept saying, you know what, just keep going. Sometimes you just got to keep going. Like you're scraping the edges. It's, it's a little messier. Yeah, you're, you're breaking some things along the way, but keep going. You're going to get it up there. And so it feels like that we're grinding sometimes. Just keep going. God's not done. You are not done because God is not done. Let's pray. God, thanks for uh, this morning, for story. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, that what you have started, you will complete, even though it doesn't feel like that sometimes. Lord, help us to have compassion on ourselves and others who are just scraping hallways and trying to figure it out, God. We love you. In your name, amen.